Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's all over but the cry. That's probably a good description of this week in Washington. It's all over but the crying. We've got whistleblower hearings. We've got misinformation hearings. We are joined now by Michael Kelly and John Hancock. Good morning, gentlemen. I just, morning, want, morning. I just want to ask, you know, we're always talking about the impact on the presidential election of the Trump indictments. I'm curious if you guys see uh, an effect with some of this stuff going on with Hunter Biden and RFK Jr. I'll start with you, Michael. Well, I think to the base that has followed Donald Trump, regardless of what comes out of his mouth or what he does, it's a a powerful message. Uh, It's ironic, isn't it, that there's such a focus on uh, Joe Biden's son? Um, Rightfully so. But uh, the the same people who have that spotlight out were oblivious to the fact that uh, the president's daughter and son-in-law were working in the White House, received $2 billion. I, I don't think it makes much of a of uh, a, a difference as we head to November. I think it probably does rally the base of the Republican Party um, and inject some energy into them for the primaries, but I don't think it will ultimately have an effect uh, long-term. John? Well, you're going to have, if the election ends up being Donald Trump and Joe Biden, I'm not sure that it will, but for argument's sake, assume that it is, you're going to have two candidates whose approval numbers, whose popularity numbers are, you know, 40% or less. Uh, that is going to create a larger swing universe than a typical presidential election has. The parties are both kind of in a transition time right now. And, you know, I think the Hunter Biden stuff will potentially have a, a minor impact on that swing vote. Obviously, it'll be more if there's any kind of proof that there were, you know, bribery involved. I've not seen any proof of that yet. It's been alleged, and I'm sure the investigation will continue. Trump's legal issues are well known. And I think, you know, on the one hand, it's going to be a very swing electorate. On the other hand, you wonder with that kind of a choice, what's going to happen ultimately with turnout. And I honestly, I don't know. Locally, you guys had a candidate for lieutenant governor on your program on Friday. Uh, how did that discussion go, in, in your opinion? I know one of the ideas that she put out there was to have behavioral health specialists in all schools as some uh, sort of solution to the violence by heading things off early on before they get to a crisis stage. So what did you think about her thoughts? Uh, well, I thought, you know, her own background is uh, – pretty remarkable. Uh, she grew up in kind of a, an addiction laden household. Uh, there was a lot of abuse there. Uh, she overcame a lot to get to where she is today. 
and I think she understands the mental health challenges that exist. Uh, she said she doesn't support restrictive gun laws, and that's going to be a popular position in a Republican primary, and she's got a Republican primary, at least a two-way, probably a three-way for lieutenant governor. Uh, but I, you know, I think she brings a perspective that not many candidates can to uh, to a campaign. Michael. Yeah, we're talking about State Senator Holly Rader, who joined us. She announced she's running for lieutenant governor. Um, she does have a compelling story of her own personal life. It's uh, quite an American success story. Uh, the question that you're referring to where she talked about mental health and uh, stopping a crisis came from a question I asked her about guns and said, look, and St. Louis here, you've likely seen it on the news. We've got some serious gun issues, and we're looking for more restrictive gun laws. And in fact, our board of aldermen just passed one. Is that something you feel as though you have wiggle room for as a Republican? And she said, absolutely not. She supports the Second Amendment. I think it really puts a spotlight on just the two worlds that we live in in the state of Missouri, and that you get about 40 miles from the arch. Uh, people view guns quite differently than what we're seeing on a daily basis. Now, whether or not that affects the ultimate electorate, I'm not sure there's enough of us living in the major cities and the suburbs that are just fed up with guns to vote out a lot of the folks in the rural areas who see any type of gun restriction as assault on the Second Amendment. And it just is a, a stark comparison as to the two worlds that Missouri is. Well, let's say that this measure you're talking about of banning guns without a concealed carry permit in the city of St. Louis, let's say it's high, wildly successful uh, and, and they can show numbers and they show anecdotes and, and crime goes down. What impact could that have on the discussion in Jefferson City, in your opinion, John? Well, I wouldn't expect it's going to be that I mean, it might be successful in keeping kids from carrying guns out in the open. Uh, is that going to solve the violent crime problem that we have in the city? It's not. So, but I mean, if yes, if if somehow the policies that are being pursued right now by the mayor result in a significant reduction in violent crime, then I think everybody will take notice. I would just be shocked if that's the case. Yeah, I don't know that I disagree with John. I think this bill, uh, you know, criticism, which might be fair, is that this is a lot of window dressing uh, to uh, to the ultimate problem. Um, look, if we're successful in, in, in helping people understand that lawlessness is not allowed inside the city of St. Louis and walking around with guns in downtown St. Louis is is no longer going to be tolerated, then that's a success. But ultimately, I think what we saw was a bill that continues to put a spotlight on the fact that Jefferson City, represented this week by uh, Senator Rader, uh, just does not care about the plight that we face here in both St. Louis and Kansas City with the proliferation of guns and the ridiculous gun laws that have been passed uh, by our legislature. Well, Michael, uh, switching gears here, you told a story about Tony Bennett that I think is worth retelling here this morning. Yeah, so in 2003, I was working for Congressman Dick Gephardt, and Congressman Dick Gephardt was running for president right here from South St. Louis. Uh, Tony Bennett was a supporter of Congressman Gephardt's, and uh, we had a really cool fundraiser one night in New York City at a very fashionable young person-oriented club. So we had about four or 500, you know, 30-year-olds stuffed into this uh, really cool club. And 
Mr. Gephardt and Tony Bennett and, and myself as Mr. Gephardt's uh, aide made our way to the middle of this room where there was a makeshift stage set up. And Tony Bennett, um, Mr. Gephardt got up and talked about why he was running for president and then said, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett got up and sang three songs, two of them with uh, audio behind him. So the, the, the music's playing and he was singing to it. And then finally the third song came and he told this room of four or 500 young people, I need you all to be very quiet. And with that, he set down the microphone and he began to sing the song, this song's for you, you know, the song, I've been so many places in my life and time. So <laughs> it caused me to bust into tears. Here's a 75 year old man amongst a bunch of 30 year olds filling an entire room, a very sizable room, without a microphone with, you know, an American songbook classic. And it was truly one of the most special moments of my life. And it was topped off by the fact that uh, at the conclusion of that fundraiser, we hopped into uh, an SUV and went to Mr. Bennett's house right there uh, overlooking uh, Central Park. And I got to see what kind of a artist he was. And I can tell you, Scott, <laughs> one of the sweetest people I've ever met. Um, just a very, very nice, humble, sweet man. Uh, and even at that time, his faculties were starting to deteriorate, but he just, you could tell he was just such a good human with such a, a positive soul. Perfect way to remember Tony Bennett, Michael. Thank you so much. And thanks, John, for your time. We'll talk to you in a few days. You bet. See you guys. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.